2: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about how to spell blonde and a meaty middle about some United States pioneer history and how we got the word trollop. And now, on to the show. It sounds like a joke, but it's actually a legitimate question. How do you spell blonde? The word originally came into English from Old French, where it has masculine and feminine forms. As an English noun, it kept those two forms. Thus, a blonde without an E is a fair-haired male, and a blonde with an E is a fair-haired female. When you're using the word as an adjective, blonde without an E is the more common spelling and can be used for men or women, especially in the United States. However, blonde with an E can also be used to describe a woman with fair hair, as in go ask the blonde woman at table two if she wants pepper on her salad. Some people think it's sexist to use blonde with an E to refer to women, but the AP Style Book currently says to maintain the distinction between the two gendered forms of the word if you use it, and the Chicago Manual of Style also seems to uphold the difference. It doesn't say so explicitly, but it uses the e-form for women in some example sentences. Still, it may be perceived as especially sexist when you refer to a woman simply as a blonde or the blonde, as in the blonde got in line to check out a book. Garner's Modern English Usage says that for this reason, it's usually best to avoid using blonde as a standalone noun. Most of the time, inanimate objects are treated as male— for example, if you have a blonde wooden dresser, blonde is spelled without the E. A recent exception, though, is that Starbucks uses the feminine form for its blonde roast coffee. Maybe the marketing people believe we'll love it more if we think of it as a woman or as female. Although it's quite rare to have gendered nouns in English, blonde isn't the only one. Two that you may have seen before also come from french confidante and fiancé. The AP Stylebook says to uphold the gender differences for both words—unless you need a gender-neutral option for fiancé, and in that case, it recommends describing couples as engaged or planning to marry. The Chicago Manual of Style doesn't address fiancé and notes the feminine form of confidant while saying it's fading from the English language. And there's a set from Latin that you might know, Alumnus and Alumna— An alumnus is a male graduate, and an alumna is a female graduate. And of course, English has many pairs of words we use to describe similar men and women, some of which are still in use, such as king and queen, and other pairs where one has fallen out of use, such as editor and editrix. Your quick and dirty tips are to avoid using blonde as a standalone noun for men or women if you can easily rewrite your sentence or you think it may offend your readers. But if you do use the words as nouns, maintain the gender difference and use blonde with an E for a woman and blonde without an E for a man. Inanimate objects usually get the masculine form of the word. And finally, when you're using blonde as an adjective, use the masculine spelling without the E, especially if you're in the United
0: States. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their Summer Splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market
1: today. With Memorial Day savings at The Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules? only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off is at rosettastone.com grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com grammar today. Next, I have an excerpt of the book Splendiferous Speech, How Early Americans Pioneered Their Own Brand of English by Rosemarie Osler. The entire book is wonderful—splendiferous, in fact—and I had trouble deciding which part to excerpt. I had underlined half the book, but I thought you might particularly enjoy this section about how Trollope became a word. So here we go. The Englishwoman Frances Trollope, who spent two wretched years in Ohio in the 1820s, took a less good-humored view of frontier speech habits Like almost everything else she found in America, they affronted her taste. In her 1832 book, Domestic Manners of the Americans, she writes, I very seldom, during my whole stay in the country, heard a sentence elegantly turned and correctly pronounced from the lips of an American. There is always something either in the expression or the accent that jars the feelings and shocks the taste. Fanny Trollope, mother of the Victorian novelist Anthony Trollope, arrived in the United States in 1828 with her two young daughters and her teenage son, Henry. Anthony, another brother, and their father remained at home, in England. Like many others who traveled to the frontier, she was hoping to make her fortune. Her barrister husband had squandered most of his money on bad investments in land. Trollope believed she could recoup some of their losses and give Henry a start in life by going into business in a place with fewer economic and social restrictions than London. Trollope's original plan had been to join a utopian community founded by a friend in the Tennessee backwoods. When she arrived, she discovered that the community consisted of a few unfinished cabins, so she fled with her children to Cincinnati. By the 1820s, the town was no longer exactly a frontier outpost. Ohio had been a state since 1803, and Cincinnati, with nearly 20,000 inhabitants, was booming. Exports included whiskey, pork products, and various manufactured goods that were shipped by steamboat from its bustling wharves. The town boasted a medical college, libraries, churches, schools, newspapers, and a theater. Still, the place came as a shock to someone from London. Trollope describes the town as an uninteresting mass of buildings and as having only just enough of the air of a city to make it noisy and bustling. Only the main street was paved. Garbage was disposed of by dumping it in the middle of the street and letting the free-roaming pigs help themselves. There were no gutters, so every rain shower washed detritus from the higher to the lower streets where it collected in unpleasant mounds. Even the hills surrounding the town were devoid of shrubs and flowers. The Trollops never really found their footing financially. After one or two unsuccessful attempts to earn money, they hit on the idea of presenting mechanical exhibits at the Western Museum, a natural history and antiquities museum. Their exhibit, The Infernal Regions, portraying scenes from Dante's Divine Comedy, was very popular. They also presented theatrical performances in their home. The Trollops, encouraged by Trollope's husband who briefly visited, overreached when they decided to build an enormous entertainment center that would have space for a theater, exhibitions, a lecture room, a coffee house, and commercial stalls. The bazaar—an exotic-looking building modeled after the Egyptian Hall in London—cost a fortune to build. Once open, it steadily lost money. The final blow came when Trollope and her son both contracted malaria. The family abandoned their American project and began making their way east and finally home. Trollope took notes throughout her trip with the idea of writing a book— Back in England and still in a foul mood from her business losses, she settled down to compose Domestic Manners of the Americans. The book was a thorough indictment of the American character, way of life, and not least, speech habits. Published in 1832, it was a runaway hit on both sides of the Atlantic. On the English side, it reinforced the negative view that many people held of the United States. On the American side, it inspired outrage but made for compulsive reading. Trollope had at last discovered a way to make money from Cincinnati. The book is full of direct and indirect comments on American language use. Trollope was appalled by what she heard, but she had an excellent ear. Her quotations are full of striking words and expressions. Names for American baked goods that she records include hot cake— Hoe cake, Johnny Cake, Waffle Cake, and Dodger Cake. She notes that stores where bread is sold are called bakeries, rather than the baker or bake shop, as in England. She also records the term grocery store, which the English would call a grocer or a grocer's shop. Like other English visitors, Trollope noticed Americans' expansive use of the word fix. A young woman explained that she was always fixed in her best when attending church. Trash was fixed into the middle of the street. Plucking and cleaning chickens was called fixing them. Trollope heard stories of people finding themselves in an unhandsome fix or an ugly fix. Besides noting individual words, Trollope frequently quotes people to give a flavor of how they talked— She manages to illustrate several Americanisms at once, with the speech of a man who congratulated her on having killed a copperhead snake during a walk. My, he exclaims, if you have not got a copper, that's right down well done, they be darnation beasts. She made a more extended effort to illustrate American speech, at least her version of it, with a fragment of a play about a Cincinnati family, attached to the fifth edition of her book. In the play, Trollope indulges in a frenzy of Americanisms. The first line is reminiscent of David Humphrey's first line in The Yankee in England. Come, boys, up with ye. I wish we may be scorched if I don't send ye both east of sunrise, if ye don't jump slick. The dialogue is packed with stereotypical Americanisms like fix, reckon, calculate, and varmint as well as new words like bakery and provincialisms like spry. Trollope also provides an early example of the expression, live high on the hog. The play's overload of Americanisms and non-standard usages is probably not a very realistic representation of the language Trollope heard. Like earlier British critics of American speech, she showed her contempt for it by exaggerating its novelties. She also concentrated on its least educated speakers, people who said cummed for came and be for r and other non-standard usages. Nonetheless, most of the words she makes her characters say are also recorded elsewhere. The 1859 edition of Bartlett's Dictionary quotes Trollope for two Americanisms: get along, meaning to get going, and Graveyard, an American variation on the English churchyard. Of course, American reviewers struck back at Trollope's portrayal of all Americans as crude, primitive people who didn't talk right. They pointed out an obvious shortcoming of the book, that she had spent nearly all her time in the United States among denizens of the Ohio frontier. What's more, they were not of the highest class. The prominent families of Cincinnati had refused to receive her. A Cincinnati reviewer attributes this situation to her singularly unladylike air. He describes her as a short, plump figure with a ruddy, round Saxon face and a want of taste and female intelligence in regard to dress. She's also a first-rate talker, he says. Then, using words she might have quoted herself as a sample of Ohio speech, he adds, she went, as they say in the West, for quantity of that article. Other reviewers pointed out that she was a greenhorn who allowed the builders of the bazaar to cheat her. Says one writer with false sympathy, she might innocently look sour at a country where she lost $30,000. About the only aspect of her commentary that everyone agreed with was her condemnation of the widespread male habit of chewing tobacco and spitting. In the end, Americans got their revenge in a particularly American way by turning the author's name into a verb. A few years after Fanny Trollope's visit, the English writer Harriet Martineau also made a tour of the United States, although with a more positive attitude. She remarks in the resulting narrative that an American publisher who was interested in the book encouraged her to trollopize a bit, and so to make her story more engaging and an American commentator complains about travelers who come trolloping over our country to seek what blemishes they may descry. Again, that excerpt of Splendiferous Speech by Rosemary Osler was included here with permission from Chicago Review Press, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. That book would make a wonderful gift for a language lover in your life— as would my 2019 tip-a-day calendar called the Grammar Daily. I'm sure you can find them both at your favorite bookstore. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening.
0: Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Mark Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
1: For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna. To keep her secret recipe alive...